Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 135, and we are recording on June 5th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. I'm back. Welcome back <laughs> from BEA. Thank you. Give us a highlight. Oh, Oh no! Bad at that. Sorry. I did no, Sorry. it's fine. I did. I, usually, I would have a highlight, but I did so little except go to meetings uh, this year. That so, I spotted uh, Victoria Schwab, which was nice. Ooh. She was doing a signing. I didn't stand in line. I just was like, "Oh, hey, look!" <laughs> and then I just kept walking. So you didn't spill wine on any authors this year? I didn't. Oh, there's <laughs> a good highlight. I went to a Candlewick dinner, and I got to sit by Meg Medina, who Ooh. I love. Yes. Um, I think they purposefully sat me by her because I like her so much. Um, and Karina Jan Glasser was there, who is a um, book right contributor who also writes our Kidlit newsletter and has published a middle grade series um, mm-hmm. called The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street. That's really, really great. Um, so she was there and it was nice to see her. But yeah, sitting by Meg Medina was, is always a delight. Yes. She's hilarious and wonderful. That's excellent. So what are you reading? I am reading. I finally found a solar punk anthology to read. <laughs> it's, sure, it's, it's funny if you um if you I don't follow know what that means. Yeah, yeah. So if you follow the Swords and Spaceships newsletter, you've seen me link to this concept a couple times. So okay, solar punk is this thing that's sort of happening as a subgenre in sci-fi um but it's mostly outside of the u.s it's kind of interesting like solar punk isn't really a thing that i'm seeing a ton of in u.s publishing but what it the idea behind it is that it's optimistic science fiction that incorporates sustainable technologies so instead of like we've ruined the earth and we're all gonna die it's like oh look here's how we could like live in a tree and not ruin the planet um right interesting interesting so so this is like maybe it's not a real thing but i think it's interesting even if it's not so um and there's this uh anthology that i picked up called glass and gardens solar punk summers edited by serena Ulabari. It was kickstarted, if I remember correctly, which is always interesting. Um, and it's got a huge range of authors all writing these short pieces that have this one thing in common. Like it's optimistic sci-fi and it's got renewable energies as part of the plot. But like one of the stories was like a police procedural like murder mystery. And then another one was like about a little girl who like dreams of sending her pet spider into space. And then like another one is like a girl who grows up on a farm, but it's not like a farm that like we are familiar with, Um, like a new version of a farm. And then there's another one that's like, you know, humanity has traveled to this new planet but it was already inhabited but they like the inhabitants were like tech savvy enough that humanity couldn't just take over so they've like kind of made like the inhabitants of the planet allowed humanity to come down and like be part of the world and one of the characters is stuck in a stands in a sandstorm like a human character is stuck with an alien character in a sandstorm so like there's a huge range and i'm not even done yet like it's a it's really amazing um 
And they're super interesting. I guess it's 17 stories. And uh, yeah, I, I am, I'm enjoying it a lot. And I can see, I feel like there's definitely a market for this. Like people are, because, you know, we get asked for like cozy sci-fi or sci-fi that's more like Star Trek, like things like that. Like people want optimistic science fiction because so much of like, you know, dystopia is, uh, is by nature very doom and gloom. Um, and a lot of other things are like that, too. So this is sort of like a but it, that doesn't mean that the stories are without conflict. It's just that the starting point is different. So it's really interesting. I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, so, yeah, that's Glass and Gardens, Solar Punk Summers by Serena Ulibari or edited rather by Serena Ulibari. It's got a huge huge range of people in it what about you um I just picked up the lost for words bookshop by Stephanie Butlin which comes out at the end of the month that I picked up because my brain is fried Mm. and I wanted something that looked cozy and easy breezy and it did um and so it I'm only you know 20 pages into it and so far it is very much if Eleanor Oliphant worked in a bookstore <laughs> like a cranky socially awkward girl but you're in you know first person perspective so she's cranky and socially awkward but with a heart of gold and you're the only one who knows she has a heart of gold because she's mean to everyone else mm. um but in a bookstore so she's like very snooty it reminds me it's like Eleanor Oliphant meets AJ Fickery kind of Mm -hmm. um that might change and she obviously like you're already getting hints about how she has secrets about a deep dark past which I'm always here for Mm um so yeah we'll see how that goes those comps might fall apart as I get you know past page 20 but so Mm -hmm. far uh that's what it feels like nice all right Um, So how our show works. This is a, as I said, show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading rec for yourself or your book club or a gift for someone, um, you can send those requests to us. You can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Or you can send us an email at getbookedatbookriot.com. If your show is time, if show, if your show is time sensitive, I don't know what that means. If your question is time sensitive, uh, please mention it in the subject line of the email or in the first line of your question. If you're using the form, we might email you back instead of answering the show. Or I did it again, answering the question on the show. I don't know why I'm doing that so much. Um, if your question is time sensitive, we're not going to get to it, or we've already answered it. Uh, on air, then we will maybe email you back. Um, and I did want to mention that we are not making up our questions, as someone has recently suggested to us. We do have a question queue going back a full year, which is, um, you know, if you've sent in a request recently, that's probably why we haven't gotten it, gotten to it yet. But we, I do bounce around when I pick, so I'm not like only pulling from a year ago. So um, no, we're not we're not making up questions. How would we make up some of these? Like that's such a preposterous suggestion. I kind of want to now, though. I, know. <laughs> I was like, what questions would I make up if I? Did if we just did a show where we made up all the questions. I mean, it would just be feminist sci-fi <laughs> fantasy. Like, Basically, all, yes. All questions correct. that revolve around that. That would be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So do se- con- please continue sending us your requests. Uh, we will get to them. I also want to mention before we get going that we're still running our $500 bookstore giveaway where you can win a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice on the site. To enter, go to bookriot.com slash bookstore500. Uh, that will be open until June 20th. 21st. Uh, so you still have a few days to enter. And last but not least, a little bit of feedback from our listeners. We have Barbara, who is an insider, who has a recommendation for the listener who asked for happy books with trans men on the last episode. She says she's heard very good things about the romance Coffee Boy by Austin Chant. Not sure if it's own voices, but it is, you know, a happy, nice romance. Um, and then Jenna says, I have a book suggestion that might satisfy John's request for a unique universe, new ideas, and nice characters. 
And Rhiannon's request for thought-provoking, dystopia-style books where the natural world is a character of its own. Um, she recommends Anne Bishop's urban fantasy series, The Others, which takes place in an alternate universe of our world, but with similar names and uh, geography. So go check that out. All right. Jen is going to read our first question. I will do our first question. All right. So our first question is from Sandra, who says, I recently began a mini book challenge with my two bookworm friends. We each thought of ideas for the challenge and are tackling them together, but have run into a bit of a dry spell. We are interested in looking at books with unreliable narrators, as well as short stories or short story collections. Do you have any suggestions? We do. Uh-huh. Uh, so before we give you those suggestions, our first sponsor is The Shimmer by Karsten Stroud, which is out from Mira Books. And this is a unique time-shifting thriller that is like genre-bending and has supernatural elements and is page-turnery and very high-octane. It also has a lot of humor in it. So no matter what you like, I feel like you're going to probably find something here for yourself. Um, So it's set in Florida, and it focuses on a police sergeant named Redding and his partner, Pandora Jansen, that's a great name, um, who are chasing a serial killer, a female serial killer, who can ride what they call the shimmer across decades. So the pursuit goes from like modern day Jacksonville to mafia ruled St. Augustine in the 50s and then like the French Quarter of New Orleans in 1914. Uh, And the main focus is two families, one who's headed by a cop and one by a forensic anthropologist, and their lives become... Totally changed, of course, when this female serial killer crosses their paths. Um, and she turn, what she's pursuing here is the shimmer is like the afterglow that emanates when a soul leaves a body. And so this is the thing that she's pursuing, and she can ride it across time. So it's like a time-traveling police procedural thriller funny book. Ha! I just love it. Okay, so that's The Shimmer by Carson Stroud, and thank you for sponsoring the show. Um, Okay, so we split this one up. Uh, Jen took Unreliable Narrators, and I took short stories. Mm -hmm. And I picked The Mary Spinster, Tales of Everyday Horror by Mallory Ortberg. And I will note that Mal goes by Mal. Now Mallory Ortberg is the name that the book was published under, however. um, So that's the name that I'm giving you. Daniel Mallory Ortberg. Daniel, yes, Yes. thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, you know, if you go to look it up at your library or bookstore, that's the name that's going to be under. Okay, so this is a collection. If you followed Daniel at The Toast or read Text from Jane Eyre, then I feel like you kind of know what you're getting into when you pick up this book. Um, retellings of children's stories and fairy tales, but horrifying. Sometimes in really, really satisfying ways. So the retelling of The Little Mermaid, the ending is completely different and is the best and is so much better than the Disney version. Uh, My favorite story from this collection is a retelling of Frog and Toad. Uh, (laughs) It is so bizarre. I do not understand how this, like, was imagined like what brain you know um but if i'm sure most of you read frog and toad story but in this version mr toad is being gaslit by his friends um for like various and sundry reasons so that they can like have his car in his house and all of these things it's just terrifying to watch a toad be gaslit for st- it's see like <laughs> i remember closing the book and being like how mm-hmm. am i so freaked out right now um, there is also a really excellent retelling of uh, Beauty and the Beast. And most, but not all of them, are either set in the modern day or are kind of timeless. So they're not, you know, like set in medieval times. They're, they feel very relevant and recent. Um, but, you know, most of these narrators are also pretty unreliable. So this might hit both of your requirements. So that's The Merry Spinster, Tales of Everyday Horror. Um, and the name on the book is Mallory Ordberg. 
Yes. Uh, cosine. All of the cosine. Um, I Right. So I did the Unreliable Narrators, and I picked for you The Night Guest by Fiona McFarlane, which I think is a super interesting book on its own right, but then also good for discussion. Um, it is about a widowed woman named Ruth who lives in a really isolated little house um, on the beach outside of town. And she's just kind of like puttering around, along being a little lady. And then one day a stranger comes to the door um, whose name is Frida and she claims to be a care worker sent by the government. Um, and so like Ruth lets her in and, um, and now like after Frida starts working for Ruth, she also feels like there is a tiger prowling around her house, um, which is perhaps not real <laughs> question mark well one um, hopes <laughs> one hopes and she's also having a lot of memories sort of out of nowhere of her childhood in Fiji um, and she is not sure if she should trust Frida who seems a little bit mysterious in a way that's maybe not okay um, and like but Ruth is old and like maybe she's developing dementia like who knows what's happening there's a lot of like what like this book is very question mark um and yeah it's a really enjoyable read I read it oh when did this come out it came out in like yeah 2013 it was it, so this would have been 2012 it was on like a buzz books list for BEA back when I was a bookseller and I read it then and I've I think about it ever since like it's a really it's a book that stuck with me um and I think would be really good for this for this uh purpose so that is The Night Guest by Fiona McFarlane all right. Question two is from Roddy, who says, I'm looking for recommendations on good World War One era books. I've read all the classics, Fitzgerald, Hemingway, etc. I've tried reading The Guns of August, but it's dry and hard to get into. I'm fine with a perspective from any country involved, <clears throat> excuse me, although particularly interested in German or British. I pretty much love any genre, just want to read a really good book. Okay. You mentioned Guns of August, so I actually picked a work of nonfiction because of that, and it is Singled Out by Virginia Nicholson. And the subtitle of this really gives you the info you need, How Two Million Women Survived Without Men After the First World War. Um, this focuses on Britain and how after the First World War, so, First world war, so many members of the male population of that country of marriage, marriage age were dead or missing. Um, and so it left this giant gap in... Marriage, like marriage material for women in a generation who had been raised to get married, right? So women who came of age during World War One had all of their education, most of their social pressure was focused on getting married, having children, being a wife. Um, but now over 2 million of them were unable to do that because there just weren't enough men left in the country after the war. And so she's following, uh, she picks out a couple of uh, women who never were never married after World War One, and instead pursued for the time very unconventional lives. Uh, a lot of them were pioneers uh, in various professions, both for being, you know, like the first woman to do X, Y, Z, but also because they like invented a really cool thing or um, moved their industry forward in some really interesting way. Um, I will say that the book is, ha it does that kind of nostalgia, sepia tone sort of look back um, into the war years and it's not diverse, but I think that this is a really interesting topic because these women, a, a few of them were very much like, cool, now I don't have to get married. You know, like not that they were glad that this war had happened or anything, but it kind of removed a lot of that pressure because now they weren't 
going to be able to be forced into a future they didn't want for themselves because it just wasn't possible uh, because of like just simple population math. But a lot of them were not happy. You know, a lot of these women were raised to expect certain things from their lives. And when they weren't able to have those things, they experienced a lot of depression and sadness and resentment and bitterness and all of these kinds of feelings, um, which is perfectly understandable. But it can be a bit jarring to be in 2018 and be reading your like diary entries of women who are like, I just want a baby. You know, it's like, question mark. Um, Not that, but of course there are still people who feel that way now. So I don't know, like depending on your personal situation, it might be like a little bit of a head slap. But it's so fascinating. I had, I mean, I knew that after the war, there was this big gap in the male population in the UK, but I never really considered how it would affect the female population who had been raised to to have this very particular kind of life that so many of them were just now not going to be able to have. Um, so that singled out how 2 million women survived without men after the First World War by Virginia Nicholson. I picked a favorite, Maisie Dobbs by Jacqueline Winspear. Um, it is the Maisie Dobbs series. The first book is also called Maisie Dobbs. Very <laughs> easy to remember. Um, she is a young woman, the main character, also named Maisie Dobbs, <laughs> who um, works her way uh, into college at Cambridge right before World War One. Um, she, which is like not super normal, um, but she makes it work. She's very smart, and she's got this, you know, benevolent patrons. Um, so she goes to Cambridge, and then when World War One breaks out, she goes to the front as a nurse. Um, and so she like has all of these war experiences, and then afterwards she comes home and sets up as a private investigator. Um, Um, And so it is a mystery series. Um, And while it like technically takes place after the war is over, this first book in particular deals a lot with her experiences during World War One and like the repercussions of those experiences. Um, so it's very, you know, adjacent slash directly concerned with World War One. Um, and you asked uh, for British and this is British. Uh, so <laughs> so there it is. Yeah, I don't like don't know how else to like recommend it. I mean, it's a really good mystery series that is oriented around World War One. So that again is Maisie Dobbs by Jacqueline Winspear. Cosine. Yeah. I love those books. They're fun. Okay. Uh, let's see. Question three is from Megan, who says, uh, my request is for a romance novel that I can get into. I want to give it a shot, and I feel like I just haven't found the right ones. Um, I'm a huge fan of the TV show Jane the Virgin, which is big on romance, and I love the drama of it. So I was wondering if y'all could maybe find something along those lines with the telenovela feel and definitely a Latinx protagonist. Bonus points for queer representation as well. I'm just going to keep talking. I couldn't find you a queer one. I tried. Um, we're going to keep looking. But I did find you a new series that I am like now obsessed with in the course of finding <laughs> in the course of finding this for you. I became obsessed. Um, it's the first book is a summer for scandal. It's the Arroyo Blanco series by Lydia San Andres. And this is a historical set in early 1900s. I want to say like 1911, something like that. Um, but it takes place on this, you know, she made up an Island in the Caribbean. Um, so it takes place in the Caribbean and, um, and it's, so it's like, 
it's around the same time as a lot of the other historicals you read, but I've never read one that wasn't set either in the U.S. or the U.K. So this was like a really cool change of pace for me. Um, And the main character is so good. Her name is Amelia Cruz. And like Jane in Jane the Virgin, also love that show, um, she is a writer. But because it's the early 1900s, it's like a big secret. Um, And she writes, she's penning this like very dramatic, you know, sort of serial about a courtesan and her adventures for this paper. So she's an anonymous author. Um, Only her editor knows her real identity and she has to keep it a secret. But one of the reasons she's doing this is because her father, who used to be a a well-regarded writer, um, after her mother's death, her father just kind of lost it and is now just like boozing his way probably to an early grave. So... So she and her sister have to kind of support themselves. Um, Amelia also has a job as a typist, which is kind of her cover for where she's getting her money. But like most of her money comes from writing this very racy, sort of scandalous serial for a newspaper. Um, And then the hero, Ruben Torres, is uh, from out of town. um, And he's like trying to like get his writing mojo back. He's a reviewer and a novelist, like very like sort of literary man. Um, Um, And they meet at a boating party and they get into an argument about the series that Amelia's writing. Of course, she can't say that she's writing it. It ends up with her like pushing him out of the boat, basically. (laughs) It's great. Um, (laughs) And so everything goes forward from there. I really loved the characters. Um, Amelia and her sister have such a wonderful relationship. There's like a couple of layers to the story here because there's this, you know, sort of women's suffrage um, underplot and like what women are allowed to do and what scandalous behavior and, you know, all of those things. And then like this this contrast between the the sort of quote unquote popular fiction and the literary fiction and the way that's resolved is super satisfying. Um, the hero is like a little bit of like a stuffed shirt at the start but he's not an alpha hole like he really is a good guy and he's got some family trouble that he's struggling with and I just loved it I loved it so much I loved it so I think you will probably enjoy it also um so again that's a summer for scandal by Lydia San Andres Okay, I picked Take the Lead by Alexis Daria, which is the first book in the dance-off series, of which there are two as of right now. Can you tell I'm looking it up? Mm. I am am looking it up. Okay, um, Take the Lead is a just really steamy romance series that takes place in a Dancing with the Stars universe. So the main character's name is Gina Morales. She's a Puerto Rican girl from New York, and she's on the dance-off, which is in this book, you know, this book's version of Dancing with the Stars. It's her fifth season um she's never made it to the finals but she's always done well and she's you know developed a nice fandom um and she's when the book opens she's meeting her latest partner who is a handsome you know he's like six five wilderness reality show star (laughs) he's the star of a an alaskan wilderness reality show called living wild where he lives in the alaskan bush with his family his parents and his i think seven siblings or or six siblings. It's a huge family. Anyway. Um, and so she meets him out in the Alaskan wilderness and, uh, then they come back to LA to start practicing. Uh, and her producer tries to convince her to have a showmance, which is a fake romance 
created for the benefit of ratings and to create a fandom for this particular pairing um, to generate votes and, you know, like ensure that they win or that they survive. Uh, Gina refuses. She does not want to have anything to do with the showman. She, for a lot of reasons, she doesn't want to perpetuate these Latina stereotypes about, you know, like the promiscuous, sexy Latina who gets on TV and like sleeps her way to the top. She doesn't want to have anything to do with that. Um, and she also has had a relationship in her very distant past with a dance partner that went very badly. So she like has been burned and just for all of these reasons, doesn't want to have anything to do with this idea. The problem is they are together. (laughs) The problem is that they do actually end up falling for each other. So like there's a romance there. She just doesn't want the show to have anything to do with it. So you're both following their relationship. The guy's name is Stone because of course (laughs) it is. You're both following Stone and Gina as they fall for each other in this like universe of tango and salsa. And it's just so good and steamy and great. Um, But also her resistance, which I think is actually kind of refreshing in a romance because so often it's like the dude is emotionally damaged and the woman nurtures him back to wholeness. But in this book, both of them have, you know, like baggage as any adult human being would, but it's really her who's like, actually, no, like my career is more important than this and I can't have this be what the show becomes about. Um, And he, you know, the struggles between whether or not he's going to respect that and how they eventually end up together, because of course they end up together because this is a romance novel, um, is it's very dramatic. It is very telenovela-ish. And then the second book um, is about one of the side characters who is a judge on um, the dance-off in, you know, the show in this universe. I'm reading the second book right now. Oh, yay! Is it good? It's so good! It's so it was, good. like, for sale on Amazon for, like, a dollar, so I bought it. Yes, and I same. <laughs> oh, yeah, good. Well, Kobo. I bought it from Kobo. But, yes, same. Right. Okay, so that is Take the Lead by Alexis Daria. With Stone. Okay, question four. <laughs> uh, st- I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. It was, it was so good. Uh, Kimberly is uh, writing us uh, for question four. She says, I'm currently in a reading slump and need help picking up the next amazing book that will keep me up way past my bedtime. I'm looking for a mystery suspense romance recommendation. I've recently read authors like Nina Lauren, Lorith Ann White, B.A. Paris, and Peter Swanson, which I, uh, all of which I enjoyed. Two of my most favorite books are Too Late by Colleen Hoover and He Will Be My Ruin by K.A. Tucker. Please, no fantasy or sci-fi. Okay, what you got? <laughs> um, I picked All Beautiful Things by Nikki Salcedo. This is a really interesting sort of spin on the romantic suspense genre. Because while there is peril, a lot of the tension in the book comes from the sort of psychological... Uh, place that the heroine is in. So it's about a young woman named Ava Camden. Um, She's a young black woman who lives in, is it Detroit? I think it's Detroit. Yes. Um, And her family are like wealthy socialites. Uh, Her father was a very prominent lawyer, like decided that he was going to become like the richest, most powerful man in the, in the around and like did it. Um, And she has been raised to be sort of a public figure. And then one night, uh, seven years ago from the time the book takes place, she is brutally attacked. Oh, it's Atlanta. Sorry, not Detroit. It's Atlanta. I knew that. Um, She's brutally attacked outside of a restaurant and like uh, somebody slightly, 
slices her face three times, gives her three huge scars along her face for no apparent reason. Like it's very, it's a, it seems like it comes out of nowhere. Um, and they arrest a guy, a white guy named Joel Sapphire, who is like an athlete who's about to, you know, have a football career. And he was there that night. He was found with the knife. You know, he had her blood on her. Like, so they are like, all right, you know, you did this. Um, so he goes to jail. And she's, like, left to sort of try to figure out what she's going to do with her life. And she, like, has no desire to be in the public eye because she feels like she's horrifically scarred now. Um, And so she kind of dedicates her life to this homeless shelter that is a beneficiary of the, you know, the family's money um, and works at the shelter. And it's sort of the only place that she feels comfortable. Um, And in the meantime, the guy who went to jail, the guy who attacked her, his brother is writing her letters. And she's just kind of, she's never written written back but you know she gets these letters every now and then from her brother from this guy's brother who believes that his brother is innocent um and so when the book opens, she's still really struggling with her, you know, trauma around this incident. She doesn't really sleep. Um, one of the things that she does that she knows she shouldn't do is that she's a photographer and she takes her camera out in the middle of the night and follows the police sirens and like takes picture, takes crime scene photos um, as like a part of her. Pro- yeah. So she's like putting herself in danger, but she's not scared. She can't sleep. She wants to be around for her family and her nieces, but she's really struggling with with life. Um, and in the meantime, Joel, uh, who's the name of the guy who went to jail, is about to get out on parole. Um, and then the brother shows up in her life and is like, I really like I know that this is stressful for you, but like I really believe he's innocent and like I want you to help me. And she's just like, I cannot help myself. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Um And so there's a huge amount of psychological tension, but it's not from, like, being chased through the streets by a killer. It's from trying to figure out, like, what do you do in the aftermath of a brutal attack? And then, like, when you know that the person who has done this to you is going to get out, like, how do you handle that? And then there is, like, there's a big twist, but I'm not going to say what it is um, because that would ruin the book. Um, But it's really interesting. And, like, there's... There are these, you know, sections that are like quotes from a Robert Frost poem and the narrative style is really different. I don't know. It was a really interesting read in a way that I just wasn't expecting from a romantic suspense novel. So I thought it was really great. Um, It's again, it's not your like it's not exactly the same as some of the books that you've read, but I think you might find it interesting. So that's All Beautiful Things by Nikki Salcedo. Okay, I picked I Am Justice by Diana Munoz-Stewart, which I read on the plane to BEA, which I usually sleep while I'm on planes, and I did not sleep. I stayed up and I read this book, so literally it will keep you up (laughs) as you requested. Um, Okay, so this is a romantic suspense novel, and the main character's name is Justice. (laughs) Not subtle. Um, And she is a member of the Parrish family. The Parrish family is this really large, very wealthy family that that famously takes in um, kids from off the street, like orphans, and they've got these really fantastic girls' schools across the world. And it's like, you know, like a wealthy philanthropic family. Secretly, they're actually a ring of vigilante assassins. Um, they take in these kids from off the street and then they raise the kids to hunt and kill um, human traffickers. So, Justice is one of those kids. She's been raised by the Parish family um, and her like co op, covert team of 
I don't like agents, I guess I don't even operatives. I don't know the word, um, are her adopted brothers and sisters. And on a mission that you're reading about when the book first opens, something kind of goes awry and she realizes that one of the people on her team. So one of her siblings has betrayed her. Um, and she has to go to the middle East. She has to go to, is it Jordan? I think, um, she has to get to Jordan to find out who has betrayed her and to continue her mission of like going after these two brothers who are at the head of this human trafficking ring that specializes in selling girls in the Middle East and war-torn countries. So that's where she's going. To get there, her family begins giving money, like sets up a chair, not sets up a charity, but becomes a large donor um, to Sandesh Ross, who is our hero. And he is an ex-soldier, I think special forces. Yeah, he left the special forces and founded a humanitarian aid group that works in the Middle East um, that is two-pronged. It's both to like provide humanitarian aid to these countries that are really in need of services, but also to give soldiers something to do after they get out of the military that is helpful and still fulfills that like need to be working towards a greater good that a lot of soldiers struggle with after they get out of the military. So that is what his setup is. And enter, you know, enter parish industries. They're going to give him all this funding. The only catch is that he has to take their PR specialist, Justice, to Jordan with him. Um, and while they're together, they have this really, it's like insta lust. I would not call it insta love. There are very few feelings or words spoken, if you get what I'm saying. Um, but then justice is injured and her cover gets totally blown. And then Josh has to figure out like what he has involved himself in and who justice really is. And also they're being chased <laughs> by these like big bad guys who head up this human trafficking ring. Um, so that is what's happening. It's, there's a lot, there's a lot happening and it is violent. I will say justice is unapologetic about the ways that she, you know, meets out justice essentially onto the world. She is not here to be convinced that violence is not the answer. She is here to put down human traffickers. Like, and that doesn't exactly change. Like she considers Sandesh does present to her. He's like a foil, right? Like he presents to her nonviolent options and all of that. And yeah, that's fine. But like, she's an assassin. That's what she's here to do. Um, which is a little satisfying. I don't know. It's like a very odd, like, I don't approve of this, but I approve of this. I approve in an unapproving way. I don't know how I feel. Um, so you, it gives you a lot of ethical things to think about, but also it's just a really page-turning, fast-paced romantic suspense. Very steamy. I will say this is like R-rated <laughs> as far as steam level goes. So that's I Am Justice by Diana Munoz-Stewart. Nice. All right. Our next sponsor, which I was delighted to see pop up, is Tonight I'm Someone Else by Chelsea Hodson, which is published by Holt Paperbacks. Um, I The reason I was delighted to see this pop up is because I remember Chelsea a bit from my Brooklyn days. Um, we met a few times as part of like literary readings. Um, she's a chapbook called Pity the Animals, which was really great. Um, and now she's got a book coming out. Um, it is an essay collection that covers everything from graffiti gangs to Grand Theft Auto to Sugar Daddies and Schopenhauer and Russian Roulette and lots of other things. Um, she's asking things like, um, what our privacy, intimacy, and bodies are worth in the very digital world of liking, linking, and sharing. So if this is a question that is interesting to you, you will definitely want to pick it up. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
She was listed, um, I mentioned her chat book, Pity the Animal. Um, it was made over a dozen best of the year lists, including on Book Riot, as well as um, Bustle and Flavor Wire and Salon and Time Out New York and a bunch of other big places like that um, when it came out. And she's very interested in uh, feminism and the commodification of the body and exploring the intersections between those. So if you like reading uh, books like... Roxane Gay's or Maggie Nelson's, Leslie Jameson. Um, these are all authors who are similar to what Chelsea is doing, so you will be interested in her as well. Um, so yeah, essay collection, feminism, bodies, digital world, all of those intersections, these are your watchwords for this book. Uh, so again, that's Tonight I'm Someone Else by Chelsea Hodson. And our next question is from Jesse, who says, I'm working as a library aide in a college prep high school with a diverse student body and high achieving students. I've had some requests for the required in books um, in the interest of exposing my kid to authors and books that get less buzz and help them bridge the gap between middle grade and adult reads. I'm looking for something similar, um, preferably with non-white authors and characters at a YA or adult level. What you got, Amanda? I picked Song of Blood and Stone by L. Penelope, which I remember distinctly when I was reading it. I could not figure out if it was YA or not. Like, I know that that's still really, it's really just a marketing category and not a genre or whatever. Um, but it is a fantasy novel about a young woman. I don't think that you ever find out really how old she is, but she's old enough to have her own house and like live on her own. Um, and a man named Jack who is like in the military. So these are young people, but they're not that young it is classified as young adult by a lot of readers on goodreads but i feel like if the book had been told from the point of view of the male character it would not so it's one of those like who knows which makes for great crossover (laughs) because it's got stuff in it that's going to appeal to a ya reader and to a young adult like a person who is actually a young adult who wants to read more adult um books so yeah it's fantasy just minda is the main character she lives in Elsira, which is where she's born, but she's very much an outcast. Her father is from um, Lagamiri is the name of the country across what they call the Mantle, which is an invisible magic wall that separates the two nation states. Her father's from Lagamiri and, uh, or was it her mother? One of her relatives is her, one of her parents. Uh, and the people who live in that country are dark-skinned, dark hair, and that's what she looks like. But she's living in this nation of people who are pale and don't look anything like her. So, And also, she has inherited like a magical ability, um, which comes from her relatives across the mantle. So because she doesn't look anything like anybody who lives in her neighborhood, her skin is dark, and she has all these magical talents, nobody trust her and she is alone she's an orphan her parents are dead her her brothers are dead um and she is very much just trying to survive she lives in a like mountain cabin with some goats and just wants to be left alone um alas that is not in the cards for her uh jack is a behind enemy lines um he's like a secret service the secret service is not the real name of this army because this is a fantasy novel and not reality. Um, but he is essentially a secret agent or a devil agent in the military uh, in his country and has come into uh, El Sira to get information about how the mantle is about to fall. And if it does, of course, there will be war between these two nations and he's got to get all this information and get it back to his um, country. But then he gets captured by enemy um, military folk and they end up at Desmond's cabin looking for shelter for the night because there's a big storm coming and then they're going to take, you know, Jack off to be whatever, probably tortured. 
But in the, you know, short period of time that Jack and these soldiers are in Jasmine's cabin, um, they start to develop kind of a, an attraction toward, toward each other. She heals him uh, with her magical abilities, and they feel this really big connection, and they run off together. And so in that act, they become both, like, traitors, spies. Uh, they have to hide um, and figure out exactly what they're becoming involved in this big, like, political conspiracy and a magical conspiracy. And there's just, like, it's very Game of Thronesy, where, like, there's so many political things happening and um, there's, like, a, a, you know, there's a crown involved and there's a romance and there's a, something here really for everyone. So I think that any reader of Riordan who's looking for something a little bit older would really like this. So that Song of Blood and Stone by L. Penelope. I picked Beasts Made of Night by Tochi Onyebuchi, which is the first in the Beasts Made of Night series. Hopefully we'll get the second one soon because this one ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Just <laughs> a warning. Um, and this is great. It is also uh, like, um, let's see, the question mentions at some point Akata Witch, um, Nnedi Okorafor. Um, it is also an, a Nigerian-influenced fantasy and um, it's set in that sort of medieval-ish fantasy world. So like, you know, for your kids who are like Queen of the Tearling fans, for example, I think this is a really good comp. Um, so it takes place in a walled city called Kos, uh, where these mages can pull the sins out from a person um, in the form of these like beasts, like, you know, the silhouette black scary beast things um, that then have to be killed. Um, and because this is a very unequal society, um, these young uh, children, basically, young people, uh, become sin eaters, uh, or Aki. Um, and it's their job to, like, vanquish these sin beasts and basically take the sins into themselves. Um, so a lot of them don't survive very long um, because this is a super dangerous occupation. Either you get, like, you know, poisoned from the inside by these sins that you ate after killing them, or you get killed by the sin beast before you even get a chance to eat it. Um, but Taj is a very talented young Aki, and he survived really a lot longer than anyone expects. Um and he gets called to the palace one day to eat the sin of a royal. Um, and in the process of completing this job, he gets sucked into this very intense political conspiracy. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of things like who can he trust and who can he not trust? And now he's also being like sort of monitored or surveilled by the palace because they are, they think maybe he knows something, but he's like, I don't even know what I might know. Um, and there's a princess and then there's a very confusing bodyguard that he gets assigned to. He like kind of hates, but then they maybe are going to become friends. Um, and he's also learning more and more about sort of the way that the sin eating system has sort of come to be. Um, and it is really good. It's so immersive. You feel like you're there. You feel like you can see where Taj is going. You feel like you know the characters. Like you just are totally in it, um, which makes the ending even more frustrating, obviously, because cliffhangers are frustrating. Um, but I think <laughs> it's a great way to hook some kids on some books that like fit really Really well that like YA fantasy political you know genre um, but give them a much broader worldview so uh, again that is Beast Made of Night by Tochi Onibuchi 
All right. Question six is from Mitch, who says, I'm a serious reader and I love books. I usually read literary fiction. I love a good deep story that's well written and has characters that live with me off the page. I recently read my first fantasy sci-fi novel, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin, and to my surprise, I loved it. I love the world building, strong female characters, the challenge it posed on how it was read, and it was so beautifully written. I also like the idea of, being, of there being two more books in the series for me to get my teeth into. This is a new genre for me, so I'd like some recommendations of where to go next. I'm looking for sci-fi or fantasy that's thoughtful, not male-centric, mature. I'm not a lover of YA and tells a super well-written story. All right. I picked Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie because it's not male-centric. It's not anything-centric. Gender has no meaning. <laughs> but I'm not joking. So um, the book opens uh, with the main character whose name is Breck. And Breck is a... Oh, how do you explain Breck? Breck is the sentient intelligence of a colossal starship that was called the Justice of Torin. In this universe, starships, uh, warships are sentient, and they use their sentience to control what are called, um, oh, what are they called? Ancillaries, obviously, it's in the title. <laughs> uh, they use their sentience to control ancillaries, um, which are, you know, soldiers who's who were people whose um, intelligence has been taken over by the ship to serve the purposes of the Empire. So Breck was the sentience of the Justice of Torin. And before the book opens, this ship, Justice of Torin, has been destroyed through some machination, political machination and betrayal. Um, and so before the ship was destroyed, Torin managed to like download her sentience into a person, a soldier named Breck, who was an ancillary. And she is the last remaining um person element of the ship and now she's woken up and i'm saying she because as a you know ship with no gender the idea of gender is very confusing to breck and so she just calls everyone she everyone in the book gets she her pronouns um there is no not to say there are no men in the book but you just don't know because they're all she um and so she has decided she's going to go back and get vengeance find out exactly what happened uh, to result in the destruction of her ship and everyone that she knew and cared about and is going to extract vengeance upon whoever that person is. Um, it's the first book in a trilogy. So like just like N.K. Jemisin's books, if you like it, you can go on, continue on. I've read the first two um, and it, they just get better, like just meaty. Breck is such a weird character because it's like it's a ship right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> in a person. So why do you have feelings? You're a ship. But they do, like, the sh they have feelings and sentience. And there are so many, because so many characters are fragments of some larger being's sentience, it get it can get a little bit confusing, but it's not confusing in a frustrating way. It's confusing in this, like, challenging way where you really want to get it. And it's not too hard and, and makes you work for it, but, like, not to the point where you're going to want to give up on it, um, which I think is perfect for somebody who's, like, really into literary fiction, where the writing is very often just like that. Uh, so, yeah, that's Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. I picked a book that has just come out that I am super interested in. I, I, I mean, I think this book is so incredible um, and is doing so much. It's called The Poppy War by R.F. Quang. And it is, do not mistake the fact that the narrator is a child at the beginning of the book for YA. Like, this is not YA. Um, <laughs> super not. Um, although, again, that is just a marketing category. But, like, this is clearly geared towards an adult audience. Um, and it is set in a fantasy world that is very similar to ancient China. Um, and to the point where there is this, like, you know, 
countrywide, empire-wide test um, to find, you know, the best and the brightest and then, you know, make them academics and you become part of this, like, giant bureaucracy. Um, and so the main character, Rin, is a young woman who is a war orphan from, like, you know, a backwater province of this empire. Um, and nobody... Like, nobody thinks she's got anything to offer. Her foster parents, you know, took her in because they were told it was their duty. And they just, like, can't wait to marry her off for some dowry. Like, they're just like, whatever, you're useless. I mean, you know, go go do things. Like, very Cinderella. Like, go clean things and go do whatever I tell you to do. And um, But, like, we're going to marry you off to some gross guy when you're old enough. And now she's old enough. But she has obviously no desire to be married off to some rando. So she decides that she's going to ace this test um, and go to an academy because that is like the only life she can see for herself that doesn't involve, you know, just like a, a fate that she's not interested in. Um, and so to everyone's surprise, she aces the test and gets into Synagard, which is the most elite school specifically for training military officials in the empire. Um, so now she's like, oh, my life is made. Everything's going to be great. I ace this test. But like, no, they think she cheated. She like has to jump through all these hoops to prove that she didn't cheat because nobody can believe she aced it. Um, and then when she gets to Synagard, she's this dark skinned peasant girl from the South and everybody there is like, you know, fancy and has wealthy parents who are maybe also military officials and she doesn't fit in. It's really hard to make friends. And um, so she like is really like her problems are not done. And then <laughs> um, as she's like making her way through school, the empire gets sucked into a war. Um, and so she is deployed. She now has to try to use what she's learned in the short time that she's been at school to not die um, and to hopefully save her country. And um, this book, I'm not going to get into it, but this book comes with a trigger warning for rape and war crimes. It is a really graphic violent book especially once you get to the section that is involves them being at war um the the supernatural and magical structure is really super interesting um there's this like very eccentric teacher who rin falls in with who's like you know trying to teach her to meditate and like take drugs to expand her mind because he can see that she has some innate magical powers um but like his way of training her does not make a whole lot of sense to her and she's just like what is going on um and then you have you know these outside forces that are invading um and the book actually is inspired by i read a bunch of interviews when i was done this with this book so i was like i need to know everything about this um the book was actually inspired by the sino-japanese war um it's just moved back in time and then added uh, like elements of fantasy so it's sort of based on real historical happenings but that but that Quang is reinterpreting um through this lens of fantasy and it is a really intense read uh i i was just totally blown away by it and it's a debut which is just unfair to the world <laughs> like uh. it's not fair to the world um it's really, really good. And it's the first, I'm very sure it's the first in a series. Um, and I'm really curious to see what the next installment is going to be like. So that, again, is The Poppy War by R.F. Quang. And our last question is from Jessica, who says, I'm a huge fan of the National Treasure movies, and I was a history major in college. Aw, I 
Hello. Uh, I love mysteries, especially ones that put a spin on a historical event. I've read all of Dan Brown's books, and I enjoy James Rowles as well. Do you have any recommendations that would fall into this category? I would love to be able to listen on audio. What do you got, Amanda? Okay, mine is not a novel, <laughs> for which I apologize. Um, it's The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu and Their Race to Save the World's Most Precious Manuscripts by Joshua Hammer. And I picked this because it is a heist that is happened in real life, and it reads very much like a mystery novel or like a like a national treasure kind of um, experience. And it is about national treasures. Um, so it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, there are librarians in Timbuktu who in 2012, when al-Qaeda militants from Northwest Africa came into Mali, they seized control of Timbuktu and they started threatening to destroy all these really great ancient Arabic texts um, that exist, you know, in Timbuktu. And so there is a librarian, like an archivist and a historian, whose name was Abdul Kader Hadara, um, who lived in Timbuktu and worked, you know, worked as an archivist in the libraries. And he saved like over 350,000 of these really ancient Arabic texts of volumes out of Timbuktu into Southern Mali in order to keep them out of the hands of Al-Qaeda, who once they got a hold of them would have just destroyed them. So it is a book about like the salvation of these natural treasure or national treasures. Um, He had to work with a bunch of different like covert Again, I keep I keep go stumbling upon the word operative here. Like, I, why do I have so many occasions to use the word operative? Um, but he had to get all of his help um, to get these books out of the city and into safer areas of Mali where they could be preserved uh, and protected from these militants. Um, but it's so heisty. Like, it, he had to do it in such a sneaky, sneaky way. And, of course, his life was on the line the entire time. Um, so it is very much like this very, like, mild-mannered dude who worked in archival with archival texts and, you know, spent all day kid-gloving ancient manuscripts is now suddenly one of the world's most intelligent and creative smugglers. Um, And he's doing that in order to preserve the literary history of his region and his home. Uh, So it's like, again, nonfiction. Like, this is a true story. This is still happening. You know, the book takes place from the 80s up until 2012. Um, And it just, it's got that, like, urgency and fast-pacedness. And, you know, there's no thing where like a secret hidden message ends up being written on the back of the declaration of independence. Um, but this is real and therefore better. And like, so (laughs) heartwarming, you know, I mean, I say heartwarming sounds like it's such a weird word to use to describe a story about somebody trying to save stuff from Al Qaeda. But you know, if you love books, I think this is like, yes, save those books, you know, like smuggle that stuff, do it, do it, do it. Like he's just a hero. It's amazing. He is badass as the title implies. So that is The Baddest Librarians of Timbuktu and Their Race to Save the World's Most Precious Manuscripts by Joshua Hammer. I picked a novel. It is available on audio. It's like 20 hours on audio, so that'll take you a minute. Um, It is Labyrinth by Kate Moss. It's the first in the Languedoc series, and it is definitely in the Dan Brown neighborhood. There are secret messages written on historical (laughs) artifacts. Um, It is a Holy Grail quest set in France, Uh, and it takes place in two timelines. There's the present day. Well, I mean, the book was written in, let's see, the early aughts, so it's like present day as in early 2000s ish um 
which uh, takes place in the Pyrenees. Um, Alice is a volunteer at an archaeological dig, and she stumbles upon a cave and finds these skeletons and some strange writings, and there's this pattern of a labyrinth and a weird, like, coin. And um, and the response to her discovery is, like, really outsized. Like, she's, like, people are, like, all up in her business about it, and she's only a volunteer, and why was she even there? And, like, how dare you touch this thing? And she's like, whoa, like, all right, everybody calm down. She gets questioned by the police. Like, it's very complicated. Um, and then there's an earlier timeline, 800 years earlier, um, right before, uh, the eve of a crusade, um, in Southern France, which was like a real thing that happened. Um, there's a young woman named Elise who is given a ring and a mysterious book for safekeeping by her father, who turns out to be like a member of this secret society, um, that protects the grail. And, um, and so they both... Alice's, because that's basically what their name is, um, are on the run, and the present-day Alice, like, has no idea what's going on, and the historical Alice is, like, knows just a little bit, but is still trying to figure out much more than that, um, and the way the two bounce back and forth and sync up in the narrative is really pleasing. Um, it's definitely got that, like, page-turnery feel to it. I think you'll really enjoy it. So that's Labyrinth by Kate Moss. And that's our show! That's our show. Oh, yeah. I'm doing jazz fingers. (laughs) Jazz fingers. Thank you so much for listening. Please go leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier to find for people who are searching for it. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson and Jen. I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And that's Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.